Hi listeners, welcome to HIPRA's podcast series, Let's Talk About Reproductive Diseases. Hi everybody, my name is Irene Calais, I'm a Global Franchise Manager in HIPRA Sign Business Unit. In this episode, we are going to talk about an old pathogen that we cannot forget about, for some pyrovirus. We will be speaking with Hasnawit from Ghent University and Shuka Van Puke from the Best Practice ProVet Synthes. Everybody agrees that porcine pyrovirus is a disease that we could categorize as under control. But all swine vet practitioners from time to time face problems caused by parvo, such as the ones reported in the last ESP in 2001, which occurred in France, Denmark and the Netherlands. Thinking that this virus is under control and consequently not having this pathogen at the forefront of our minds when we come up against reproductive disorders means that we can underdiagnose parvo-related problems on our farms. To know more about this virus from the scientific point of view, today we are talking with Hasnaul, head of the Laboratory of Virology at the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine, Ghent University. He's a well-known veterinary virologist who's published 420 papers on viral diseases in humans and animals, including sweets and meats, and has trained 74 PhD students. He has several patents on his name and has founded two spin-offs in Mako and Patterson. He will be sharing his expertise as a virologist with us to help understand how parvo affects so hurts better. So, welcome Hans. It is a pleasure to chat with you. So before delving into the deep end, can you please give us a brief overview of your work with Parvo at the university? Hi, Irene. Uh, a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, in the past, uh, our laboratory was not doing diagnostics on uh, PPV1, uh, as most private laboratories were performing PCRs, and there were not a lot of positive cases. Uh, this has changed lately when more PPV1 was diagnosed in the diagnostic laboratories in Belgium. Uh, during this period, we have performed a lot of sequencing of PPV1 isolates in our spin-off, Pathosense. Uh, Pathosense is a diagnostic platform that identifies all pathogens in one sample through third generation sequencing. With this new technology, we can also do full sequencing. And uh, based on this information, we were able to make a gen new genet genetic tree and analyze the evolution of PPV1 in the pig population. Okay, great. So thanks for the introduction. And for sure, it, there has been a slight increase in parvo positive cases in the last few years, like, like the ones from the last ESPHM I mentioned before. We are also going to publish a new field case reported in Spain in the IPVS 2022. Okay, time for the first question. Starting from the bottom, give us uh, the main insights about parvo bias etiology and epidemiology. Well, uh, porcin parvovirus 1, or PPV1, is a small DNA virus of 20 nanometer, consisting of a capsid, enclosing a single-stranded DNA. It is extremely resistant in the outer world, which forms the basis for its uh, persistence. It needs cellular polymerase for its replication because it does not have its own polymerase in its genome. It targets mainly lymphoblasts and embryonic fetal tissues. The virus replication is fast. One cycle takes only six to eight hours. At the end, it lyses the cell and becomes released with the spread of newly formed virus particles. This virus is very immunogenic and antibodies are raised from six days post-inoculation. With a natural infection neutralizing antibodies and cytotoxic T-lymphocytes, 
give protection against clinical problems. Regarding the epidemiology, our own recent research demonstrates that PPV1 is genetically changing in time with 4.7 times 10 minus 5 nucleotide substitutions per site and per year. This is much faster than big DNA viruses with values between 10 to the minus 9 and 10 to the minus uh, 10, but slower than RNA viruses, values between 10 to the minus 3 and 10 to the minus 5. In the past, the speed of genetic evolution followed the increase of the peak population in Europe. It reached a peak in 2000 and dropped afterwards, most probably due to a more intensive vaccination strategy on most farms. During the last five years, it has stayed at the same level, which could be attributed to a certain immune evasion of the virus. Genetic changes may cause antigenic changes, which in turn may have an effect on the recognition by antibodies. However, cross-neutralization and cross-hemagglutination assays have demonstrated that only minor differences exist between strains, so we still expect cross-protection with the current vaccines. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. We need to keep an eye on the genetic evolution of the different pathogens. But as you said, talking about parvo, we expect cross-protection. The current vaccine contains a strain that we could categorize an old, but if there were a true immune evasion of these new strains as a consequence of the genetic evolution, surely we will constantly find in part what breaks in vaccinated herds, and it is not really the case. Another point is that we also consider important to highlight about these new strains is that they have a higher replication efficiency when compared to the currently existing ones. So this could also be a reason for them being more prevalent. On to the second question. What can you tell us about the pathogenesis processes when parvo crosses the placenta? Well, we can observe different effects depending on the gestation phase. During the first five to seven days after conception, the embryos are protected by the zona pellucida against the parvo infection. Then we will not face any problems. Starting from the moment that the embryo hatches, after seven days, embryonic cells can be infected and will be destroyed as a result. If it affects all embryos, the result will be a return to estrus of the sow. When the infection of the embryo fetus happens after bone calcification, after 35 days of gestation, but before the animal becomes immunocompetent, which is at 70 days of gestation, then typical mummification occurs. This leads to the formation of typical mummies under 17 centimeters in length, which consists of only a dried mass of dead cells and bone. PPV is a slowly spreading virus. It takes around four days to jump from one fetus to the next. And what's next? What happens when the infection starts after day 70? Well, when the fetus becomes infected after 70 days of gestation, it can already react immunologically, and the outcome depends on who is winning the game. The virus or the immune system. When the virus wins, a stillborn piglet is born. When the immune system wins, a, norm, a normal or weak, pig, weak piglet is born. If the intrauterine infection starts with one embryo fetus, then the virus will spread from animal to animal, as it cannot spread via the uterine wall. Depending on the speed of spread, a combination can then be seen of small litters due to embryonic death, combined with, with mummies, or mummies combined with stillborn or, and normal piglets. This complete reproductive syndrome is what we call SMEDI, which stands for stillbirth, mummification, embryonic death, and infertility. 
other viruses that cause Smitty are porcine circovirus 2 and enteroviruses. Thanks, Han. It's, it's good to remember that parvo goes much further than mummified fetuses, and it must be included in our differential diagnosis when the following things are observed. The farm has a high number of stillbirths, a high percentage of litter scatter, or regular and irregular return to estrus, especially when we observe these problems in yields and first parties. You also mentioned at the beginning that the lymphoblasts are one of the targets of parvo, right? Yes, the infection of the other target cell, the lymphoblast, during six days of infection will lead to the death of the cell but does not cause over disease. However, mass destruction of lymphoblasts might, just like parsine sarcovirus 2, have a temporary effect on the immune response against coinciding infections. However, this is a point that still requires deeper research. Interesting. I'm sure we will find out more soon enough. So let's move on to another aspect. What is your opinion on parvo vaccination? Well, one, one should know that vaccinating against PPV1 is not inducing a sterilizing immunity. But personally, I have no problems that a, a PPV1 is circulating on, on a farm when gills and sows are well vaccinated. That means a strong primal vaccination consisting of a double vaccination before the first insemination and a regular boost vaccination thereafter. And how efficient are antibodies at protecting against parvo? Like with, other, like with any other virus, neutral, neutralization by antibodies is, is extremely important for first-line protection of the host against wild-type viruses. However, we should also consider that the, that the presence of cytotoxic T lymphocytes, which are not continuously present, but may be quickly induced upon exposure to wild-type viruses. This cell-mediated immunity is never considered due to the absence of a proper test. There is only one way to analyze the protective power of an immunity induced by a vaccine, and that is, of course, by a challenge with different genotypes. Okay, I see. And finally, talking about diagnosis, which type of samples would you recommend taking and which test should be performed? Well, that's very simple. Just collect material from mummified stillborn fetuses and perform a PCR or a, do a pathosense analysis. Virus isolation is, is a nightmare. Uh, immunofluorescence is difficult due to the high level of autofluorescence in the tissues of mummies. And the detection of antibodies should not be preferred as inhibition of hemagglutination may also occur with non-infected fetal uh, fluids. And traces of maternal antibodies may be present in fetuses upon placental lesions. And uh, these things we have uh, uh, seen ourselves during uh, uh, research that we have done in the past. Pathosense is not only allowing the, the identification of PBV1, it may also give us the full sequence. And this information gives the genetic dis distance between the vaccine virus and the wild type virus, which might explain the reduced level of protection. Up till now, there is no clear proof of this. But as mentioned before, we should be aware of the continuous evolution of the virus. And when positive, one, one should also analyze if the vaccination is performed in a correct way. Incorrect administration of vaccine is regularly causing immunological gaps. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. This will really help to confirm part. I would like to take this opportunity to say one thing about samples collection. We need to consider as a possibility the contamination of the samples with agents normally found in feces, such as parvo, PCV2, 
and host of endemic flora. Therefore, the interpretation is really important. A positive diagnosis should always be complemented with clinical symptoms. Okay, so I think we still have time for one more question, Hans. So in recent years, some papers about porcine parvovirus type 2 to 7 have been published, but these parvo have been found in clinically healthy animals and have not been related with clinical symptoms. So it seems that it could be a commensal pathogen. So what's your opinion on that? Well, once, once you find a new virus, you have to isolate it and have to perform the postulates of Koch. Therefore, we need to inject an infectious virus into embryos and fetuses and have looked to see what the outcome is. So only by doing this, we will be able to determine the virulence, the pathogenicity of these strains. Finding genetic material in fetuses does not automatically mean that they are the cause of the problems. Just think about the value of finding PCV2 genetic material in fetuses. What is important in the pathogenesis of these parvoviruses is to determine if the virus can cross the placenta, and if so, if the virus is causing lysis of the cells. And uh, in this context, I'm looking forward to the experimental data from people that are working with these viruses. Postulates of Koch really brings back memory of microbiology at uni. And yes, I completely agree. A positive diagnosis is important, but we need to be careful with this interpretation, especially when the pathogen found has not been previously correlated with clinical disease. Thank you very much, Hans, for your time and for sharing your expertise with us. It has been a much-needed update on Parvo. So let's sum up. First, the infection with parvo at the different phases of gestation will lead to return to estrus, small liter size, mummified piglets, or even stillborn piglets. Second, do not relax against parvo. It is still out there. We need to be vigilant, not only to the genetic evolution, but also to its effects on other cells, such as the lymphoblast. Third, we need to assure immune protection by vaccination. The universe more attention to guilt. And last but not least, PCR technique will confirm Parvo as a causative agent in mummified stillborn fetuses. Thanks for listening to our episode on porcine parvovirus with Hans Nauwink. Very soon, we'll be releasing our new episode with Sjoka van Poker, who will be sharing all her experience as field vet dealing with this pathogen. Don't miss out.